the 20-digit scene review podcast. I'm your host, David, and with me always this evening is Alex. How are you doing, Alex? Hello, everyone. I am doing awesome. And every week, this podcast, each of us chooses one scene to review. This is episode 32, so it's even. And on even episodes, I start first. And my pick this week is inspired by a trailer that I saw for the upcoming Top Gun 2 movie. So what better choice than to choose Top Gun itself, the 1980s film, uh, and choose a scene from there. Now, Top Gun is a decorated (laughs) film within our friend community, let's say. Certainly a ton of scenes to work from. A lot of memorable scenes that I could have chosen, but I decided to choose none other than the death of Goose, which uh, which was an incredibly impactful Spoiler moment <laughs> in the movie. It uh, you know, leading up to that, you had all kinds of Yahoo, cocky, young, testosterone-filled pilots dominating the screen doing daring things over and over again without consequence. And then suddenly uh, the worst thing could have happened. And it certainly changed the, the, inc- the tone of the movie. It was certainly a powerful plot uh, incident that impacted uh, the main character, Maverick, who was played by Tom Cruise. And the movie did an incredible job just building up that friendship. I mean, right from the get-go, Goose and Maverick were best of buddies. There was several scenes leading up to it showcasing that. And the word, of course, is just jarring that he just died in this sort of incident. And, you know, this one thing about Top Gun that I think every boy <laughs> growing up in the 80s, I don't know how many people applied to the Navy after this film, but I am almost certain it was a huge inspiration, uh, (laughs) for that. So anyway, the, the reason I, the other reason I picked this particular scene is very similar to, we, 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 we talked Alex about another, another eighties film, uh, Ferris Bueller's day off. And you had that emotional jarring scene. And, and, And this is very similar, right? Like you had a almost playful lead up to it. And then it just hits you like a ton of bricks and, and the characters are forced to figure it, figure it out, uh, in the climactic scene thereafter. So it was, it was certainly a turning point in the character's uh, development and its arc, uh, and the movie itself. And so that's why I felt it was one of the most powerful and important scenes in the entire movie. Uh, just one a final note about this before I hand it over to Alex to get his comments on is, uh, I didn't realize this until I did some research, but um, th- there was actually a real-life goose, Tomcat pilot, and uh, he died in an ejection sequence. So this was, to some degree, uh, um, mm-hmm. inspired by real events. He he did die in an ejection sequence, but it wasn't quite like this. Uh, but I thought that was interesting. And then... The other thing during my research I found out was the the facts around the flat spin that was led to the incident uh, 
of them losing control and then him hitting the top and canopy. Ironically, when I first watched that part, I thought that was fake. I didn't think that was possible because when there's forward momentum, there's just no way the canopy would stay up there. But interesting enough, in a real flat spin, there is no forward momentum. It's just spinning mm-hmm. and do- and just dropping. And uh, there's a pocket of air above it that sits like a vacuum, and it, it is possible for see microseconds for that uh, canopy to stay there. And it actually did happen. Um, a real pilot actually hit his head on, on the canopy. So that, that actually, that is based on real events. So I thought that was cool. Uh, when, when I in fact thought it was wrong and, and thought it was fake. So I'll, uh, I'll stop here and just, uh, get Alex's yeah. uh, thoughts on this. Cause I know, I know this, this film is, uh, you love <laughs> this one too. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's obviously been quite a while since, since I've seen it, but you know, don't forget, it didn't forget this scene, uh, of course. Um, and among others so yeah definitely a perfect storm of things gone wrong uh one engine goes out another engine goes out um you know the the guys they're they're tailing the um the allied craft of of the other friendly pilot and stuff and then just because he boosts out and gets gets out of the way i'm I'm assuming there the implication there in the filmmaking is that that caused certain physics to happen that it would trigger or start the dominoes falling for what happened that's right the trailing jet right and then with the flat spin yeah it just as as you're talking about with the canopy normally when you're just flying straight which 99.99 percent of the time you're doing right. the 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 wind will blow the canopy back and away and you can safely eject but in the flat spin yeah the they're they're falling right on, along the axis right. of spinning right so mm-hmm. yeah very unfortunate and yeah unexpected too Right. Yeah, it was totally say, unexpected, yeah. right? Like it, you didn't. I remember watching it for the very first time, which is very difficult. Even though, when watching it again, there were certain ominous tones. I felt like the there was some skyline shots. It looked a little more red than normal. I, I felt the music was a bit different, and usually that's some foreshadowing that something bad is going to yeah. happen. Mm-hmm. And so, <clears throat> certainly some classic filmmaking filmmaking uh, tricks there and uh that contributed to that so but yeah i thought it was uh it was you know i was just uh, there's this there's this guy online ward carroll he's he's pretty uh famous right now just because he he was a i think for over 10 15 years he was a f14 pilot and he talks about top gun in great depth. I'm definitely going to put it in the notes. He's fantastic. Like I, I just sat there listening to him for eight, 10 minutes on, on this particular piece on, on the, the reality of it. Uh, mm-hmm. and he has an, he's another article that, uh, I think there's 79 wrong facts or wrong things about <laughs> Top Gun. And certainly there's a lot of liberties taken in the Hollywood level, but he, he admits that, you know, the, the job of the movie was to entertain and, there are liberties taken and certainly there are facts that are wrong, but at the end of the day, it, it I think it succeeded in, in what it was intended yeah. to do. It was just to provide a sense of entertainment, escapism and coolness into something that was never seen before. I mean, those were real planes flying. This is not, you know, computer generated anything. That's what was very interesting yeah. about this film, right? 
I can imagine the budget and then the, the right. to have to get clearance or whatever for civilians to just come on and yeah and just and start and doing just take it. footage of of stuff and yeah and then presumably they had for real pilots piloting the craft uh, yeah and um, he was in there yeah, he was in that was the interesting part like i think uh okay. if i'm not mistaken tom cruise was in the pilot. he was in the back he was the real i guess in this case and in the new one he was in there again and there was like close-up shots of him and amazing footage again of them flying and for the most part i think the computer graphics was done limited so pretty excited about the new one that's coming out to be honest with you okay okay i mean just from a nostalgic point of uh, nostalgia <laughs> i was talking to a couple of our friends i think we're definitely gonna hit it up i think in a couple i think it's launching in may or releasing in may and this is definitely a theater going experience so gonna check it out right right yeah get the big sound and everything yeah i found it interesting how with the with the spin and seeing, watching the scene again, it's, it's, this is a detail I, I, that wasn't in my memory, so I might have missed it. But how he has said, Mike Maverick, the character, yes, said, "I can't yeah. reach the ejecting because yes. of, because the spin right. is causing you know uh, force forcing right. me forwards. Mm-hmm. I couldn't mm-hmm. reach backwards. So he's you know the guy that, who was closer to the axis of, of of rotation would be the one that needs to would would have an easier time of it. That was." Uh, interesting but again unfortunate just a perfect storm of multiple things that just caused the thing what was interesting too was ward carroll mentioned again this he mentioned that in light of this issue of the canopy potentially you know in this flat spin scenario where it just hangs a little bit longer and you could hit Mm -hmm. it they modified the emergency procedures such that the uh the canopy release and the ejection are actually separate and so he mentioned that Goose made an error. He was supposed to release the canopy first before ejecting. And it is the guy in the back of the reel that, that gets ejected first. So that's accurate. Uh, so he, he mentioned that. And he says that's not a, a stretch of, a, uh, of truth. That's, that's possible. That could happen. I mean, you're in a panic situation and you're, you're just uh-huh. desperately trying to eject. And, you know, that, that's what happens. So... I thought that was interesting, him just breaking that level of detail down, despite the over 79 major issues with the film. Uh, technically, this part was more or less accurate, outside of the fact that the flat spin, they're not traveling forward, they should be just dropping. So I, I think that's... Uh, so yeah, wait, so, so to be clear then, you're saying there, there's, at the era that's being depicted in the film, with the, whatever, this F-18s, I think they were... F-14s, yeah. Okay, then um, that the technology should already have been in place for them to to uh, at, I don't, at two different times launch. Yeah, the I don't. It, he explains that Goose made an error that he should have released the canopy first before ejecting. And if you actually, if you if you listen to that clip again, you'll hear Maverick say, "Watch the canopy," and it breaks your heart yeah, every I remember time you that. hear it. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, that. it just breaks your heart hearing it. Uh, and and honestly, it just you know, breaks your heart even further when he when he just doesn't want to let him go, you know, at sea when yeah. he's there and the guy's saying, you know, you, you got to let him go, you got to let him go. It's just brutal, absolutely brutal. So uh, anyway, it was um, yeah, an impactful was, scene, wicked moment. Not not mo- wicked moment, but just <laughs> a a great storytelling event that mm-hmm. moved the the movie in a powerful way and then it set it up for the ending which was so cool so 
uh, and he he basically grew up after that. Like he was forced to be. Many people online call it, you know, the man moment, where he he was a very much a boy <laughs> before that, and this is when he started putting on the big boy pants and started becoming a man. And then, unfortunately, an incident like that was was a contributor to that. So, anyway. Mm. So I, I think we we talked at length on that one. Let's yep, uh, yep. let's get to your pick this week, Alex. What did you pick? All right, this week my pick is the film, uh, twenty fourteen film. I think it was released, uh, The Imitation Game. This is a biopic of the Alan Turing. The Alan in, Turing. Mm. Yeah, of, <laughs> of uh, those in in comp sci or, or in mathematics, you would know that name really well. Uh, World War Two is the context here. Um, Directed by Morton Tildum and starring, and we see here in this scene, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as Alan Turing, and then also Keira Knightley, among others. So, um, the Enigma machine, a uh, a device created, it was from my research, it's created actually before the World War, and it was it was in use um, uh, before that, uh, but here in the context, the the German side of the World War Two. Um, making heavy, heavy use of this and um, to confounding the allied side as, as, as far as, I mean, the, the point of this, sorry, is to, it's uh, to encipher and decipher transmitted messages. Okay, so um, the, which the German military you're using. So in this scene, we see the, the, the British side uh, making use of a captured Enigma machine. And by this point in the film, they have, they've cracked the secret of using it, and so they're deciphering uh, German military transmissions each day. In this scene, though, what what really I really remembered this one, and that's why I wanted to pick it, is that mm -hmm. um, they learn from a transmission of of a particular transmission that there's going to be an imminent attack, like with literally within minutes, uh, on an innocent civilians um, based on positioning and stuff of of the of the craft in the Atlantic Ocean that they've been able to uh, decipher. So at first, one of them does the human obvious thing and just tries to share this intel with with military. And you know, we got to stop this attack, and let's 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 go do that. Um, Turing, though, with this quick and keen mind, um, actually moves and and stops the phone call. And everyone in the room is just taken aback, like, "Bro, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> did, did you, you know? It's just been a long day. Why uh, would you, must you not never say straight. people? Yeah, why would yeah, you? Yeah, like we're we have a chance." <laughs> Of several hundred lives here. Uh, obviously, we have to go do that. And then he, you know, as the scene progresses, he explains his his line of thinking. You know, if if okay, say we go do that, what will the Germans think? That's the line in the film. What mm -hmm. will the Germans think? He says. And he he says that emphatically too. Like yeah. what he says it slowly. What the Germans yeah. think. Like he says it. Yeah, like guys wake up. Kind of thing, yeah, right? you're and the ones that need to wake the, up. <laughs> yeah, the rest of the, uh, the of his of his team, there there mm -hmm. clues in. Says, "Oh gosh, Alan is right." And then finally, the 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 last one to speak says that, you know, the Germans will will know that we have have cracked their code, and so they will they will stop using it. They will they will adjust their their cipher sequences or whatever that's going to be, and then all the work will be done for two years. Will be just dismantled. Down the train. Start over. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Alan Turing says, you know, our job isn't to save a single passenger craft or whatnot. Our job is to, in the bigger context, to stop this war and, do, and, and to, to win it and to do what we can as mathematicians to, 
to reach that goal. So yeah, I picked the scene because it's just a, a huge and horrible moral dilemma, right? It's just at, at that, even at just at that scale of several hundred that you have the power to, to literally to save. And yet you, you have to consider that on an even bigger scale, you're choosing a, I guess, a lesser evil or a greater good, or however you want to phrase it. But just to think that in order to do that, you have to hold your hand back and and just know that these people will die. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a, it's one of those classic cinematic moments. I mean, certainly, it happens in real life too, and it's it's the classic: do you sacrifice a few for the many? It was, we mm -hmm. talked about this in, I can't remember which episode it was, but it was the Star Trek Generations one. Remember where, yeah. do you leave the captain for dead? Or do you just destroy the ship while you have the chance so that it doesn't destroy, it doesn't completely annihilate humanity? Uh, it, it's that moral dilemma, right? And Yeah. And I think there's, there's some great lines used in movies before, you know, how many lives does it take to it to become okay? <laughs> or at which point you take, at which point you, you take action. Is it one? Is it five? Is it 10? Is it 20? Right, is it right. 100? Is it 500? Is it 1,000? It's five. Okay, when when it, when does it become, when's that line? And the, the answer is there's not really a, li a line, right? It's A clear line, yeah. No, it's not. And, yeah, that, and I've, mm -hmm. I've done, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I interrupt. Yeah, I was just saying, I've done, I've done a little bit of um, looking into this, or at least, I don't know, reading and, and, and so on. And I think there's a little bit of a distinction here, um, for example, with, the, with Captain Riker and then this scene, where this scene we have um, the choices about inaction. Sure. That's um, causing fair the enough. death, fair as opposed to an action causing the death where Riker would actually open fire on, right. the, on the craft in order right. and actually kill. And it, the, it, 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 depending on which philosophers you ask, it, it colors the, um, your moral, I guess, uh, what, whether it's okay for you to have done it, I guess the bottom line, maybe was what mm -hmm. I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Um, your, uh, culpability is I think like the technical term, huh. whether you, you can or not, because if it's different, if you, you, for example, to actually kill someone in order to theoretically save multiple lives. Sure, sure. That act of the killing is still on you in terms of morality and ethics. As opposed Whereas to in inaction? this case, as opposed to inaction, yeah, because saving it, somebody. because you would you would you would be the one holding the knife or firing the bullet or launching the missile. Whereas in this in this situation in in the scene here, they're not the ones like launching the missile or, or torpedoes or what. Correct. Um, Correct. So the in, it's a little bit different um, insofar as the, uh, the actual murder, the actual deaths. Um, That's true. I mean, on them. I hear, I hear what you're saying. I mean, technically yeah. speaking, well, not say, sorry, not technically speaking, but what could happen is maybe miraculously they survive or maybe they're wrong. I doubt it. All the intel <laughs> points to the fact that they were moving towards that convoy. But mm. there is a possibility that they could survive. So it's not necessarily true that their inaction would lead to their deaths. So mm. I think that's what, you know, I guess, another way of looking at it in terms of, as yeah. opposed to I'm going to point that gun or 
fire that torpedo right now and I know that you're going to die that, and I, I actually killed right, you. Right, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And some, some philosophers will, um, will say, in the case where you have to take an action to actually cause, like to cause an e- or to do an evil, quote unquote evil, depending on your, you know, outlook mm-hmm. on life, but to do an evil in order to, to do a good, that's where some philosophers will draw the line and say, "Interesting." They say that, yeah, I won't do that. I will try to find a way where I can uh, all uh, do both. I can avoid the evil and try to still do the good. So, in sure. other words, try to save the people, but in a different way. Like it's not the. Mm. I guess the argument is about does the end justify the means? The means, right? Right. Yeah. So does yeah. But but life, I find that. I like this discussion, mind you. It's it's yeah, great. Yeah. It's, it's it's the 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 discourse of situations at the end of the day, they're never clear. Right. And that's why it's so difficult. Mm, yeah. Decisions are never plain black and white one or zero. It's you're going to, you're going to be coloring in the lot. You're going to color beyond the lines in real mm. life situations. And that's why it's so difficult sometimes to, to do things and uh or not do things in some cases so uh in, <laughs> yeah in and, and in this particular <clears throat> situation the it was the added pressure of it happening within 10 minutes or something right they had you to do something you, you couldn't just not. have a little afternoon chat and yeah let's let's discuss about for this hours. and let's debate <laughs> yeah. about this like that that's yeah. more reality sometimes yeah you yeah. just don't have the time to to deal with you got to make a snap decision and i think that's the difference between the powers that be, whether they be in company or government organizations, uh, they are kind of left in impossible situations sometimes. And I guess that's why they have the big gal and big guy pants to make those decisions and they're never going to please everybody. So those, those are the things that they have to deal with. I thought what was interesting, turning a little bit here, uh, the topic a little bit, I was reading an incredible essay. I hadn't finished it though. Uh, it was definitely included in the notes. And they basically analyzed the story of this of this movie, how well it was written, the use of hierarchy in the uh, the storyline, plots. And I won't discuss it in depth here. But what was interesting is that they had a choice because Alan Turing's life is so there's so many things happening where they get to do many different things. If they try to do everything, they'll, they'll lose the audience. And to fit the main plot line around the sort of this, you know, code breaking, uh, situation, they could have easily say ended the movie with them just discovering the code and da, 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 wrap it up with a few, five, 10 minutes of, of storyline. And, you know, they won the war, but instead and at the very end of the scene, he says something to the effect of, we can't tell anybody about it. You know, what do we do with it? Like, that's the more interesting problem. Like, you've solved the code. Now, what do you do with it? And how do you win the war with it? That, to me, is more of a big, bigger problem than solving the code itself, which you can easily mm-hmm. sort of think that that's just the main thing. And it's not to dismiss it. And that it's and diminish the fact that it is important. Yeah. But yeah. what do you do with the information to win the war? And I thought yeah. that was the cool thing about the scene and how they wrote this movie. So hats off to picking the scene for sure. 
Yeah, and that was the line in the film uh, that Turing says that um, okay, we've we've and we've done that job because one of the characters says our job was to crack Enigma, and then right. Turing replies, and we did do that, and now the hard part is to, right. to keep it a secret. <laughs> right. And so you're absolutely right that you know in terms of the military minds, like supposing they go to the generals and stuff. Okay, so we finally cracked it. Now what do we? What should we do? Um, mm -hmm. And to have to figure out you know, carefully make use of the intel, but not so much that it gives away that they know the intel. So, right. you know, it, it's like they're, they're, there's a line that's that's moving and they have, to, they have to stay close. And then when it moves, oh, they have to fall back again. And, you know, it's super difficult and, and very challenging. Right. I don't know if in some, um, I think it was in Nirvana and Fire, actually. So another thing, another piece that we, pulled from in a, in a separate podcast episode uh it features a spy network and in the same sort of vein they discover the people that are involved in the spy and the immediate gut reaction was let's destroy them let's take them out right let's take out the spy network and then you know the main character's like no keep them because that's how i want to transmit what i want the messages i want to transmit to the the enemy side. <laughs> so it's, it's about what you can do to leverage the situation and in the very same vein that they, they've done this here. Right. So it's about how do I use this information smartly and then use it to, to win the war in critical situations. Right. So that's, that's why the powers that be make the big bucks and <laughs> you and I, we don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> So anyway, great okay. pick, uh, fantastic cast. You know, it was fun to, one last point, it was it was fun to see, and I didn't realize this, to see some folks from Downton Abbey, which is a really great series. I don't know if you've seen it. I think you would enjoy it a lot. Matthew Good, okay. Alan Leach, uh, who, uh, who played Hugh and John respectively, were in, uh, were in Downton Abbey. And uh, I love, I don't, I don't know why, but I love Downton Abbey. It's um, it's a great show. I think you should watch it if you can. I think you would enjoy it. Okay. All right. Put it on the list. Yeah. So I think that is closure for episode 32. Wow. So with that, I wanted to thank everyone again for listening. I uh, wanted to appreciate all your, uh, your recommendations and, 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 uh, and your time. So, um, Alex, uh, thanks again for you, your time, and uh, look forward to next week or whenever we get to get together again to do uh, episode 33. Mm -hmm. 32 is 2 to the 5, so hopefully we can get to 2 to the 6. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks for, well done. for the ride. Well done. I love it. I love it. Well done. <laughs> An ode to Mr. Turing himself. Take care, everyone. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. You can email us at scenereview at 20digit.com and find us on YouTube by searching for 20digit productions. And we're 20digit on Twitter and Instagram. Note that our website and all our online IDs are spelled with numbers 20digit. Thanks for listening to the 20digit scene review podcast. <laughs>